0: The, the whole thing about house call practice is that it allows you to be your unique self as a business owner and as a vet.
1: Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, an emergency vet in DC.
2: And I'm Phil Zeltzman, a board certified small animal surgeon in Pennsylvania. We would like to thank our beloved partners first, we have five elite partners, CareCredit, the popular third-party payment, Royal Canin, maker of fine pet food, TeleVet, a platform that offers telemedicine, remote payments, and communication tools for clients, Galaxy Vets, a new corporate group that allows all employees access to equity in the company, and Eckerd Enterprises, which offers a way to invest passively through what they call mineral rights, which is essentially oil and gas. And then we have our gold partner, VetEx International, which is an amazing group led by Dave Nickel. And they help vets learn the professional skills needed to thrive in practice. So thank you to our partners.
1: Our guest today is Eve Harrison. She is a full-time house call veterinarian. She owns a concierge practice in Los Angeles, and she created an online CE course called the House Call Vet Academy. Eve, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you so much. It's great to be with you guys.
2: So Eve, let's start with the beginning. How did you decide to become a house call vet?
0: So that's kind of a long and windy path. (laughs) We have all day. Yay! (laughs) So I actually started out thinking I was going to be a surgeon. So I did an internship. I ended up doing a portion of a surgical residency and it didn't go well. It was really hard for me. I ended up very depressed. I gained about 30 pounds. I basically didn't have the mentorship and support that I needed for the way I learn. And so I ended up leaving that experience feeling really burnt out, like just not okay. (laughs) And after that, I tried pretty much everything under the sun that you can do as a clinical veterinarian. So I um, did ER relief work. I did GP relief work. I worked in shelters. I did vaccine clinics. I literally tried everything. (laughs) And, you know, I was good or good enough at all of it, but none of it was really good for me. And so, you know, at a certain point, I was just like, I'm really burnt out. I don't like this. I'm considering leaving the industry completely. I've literally tried everything. And so I sort of took a little bit of a break from veterinary medicine. It wasn't a complete break. I was still doing like an overnight ER shift or doing some ER on-call surgery work, um, you know, a few times a month. But what I kind of shifted my attention to was yoga teacher training. So I decided to go try something completely different and kind of with the purpose of healing myself. So, you know, yoga is the perfect mind-body modality. You know, a lot of people use that to center themselves, to heal themselves, you know, just to kind of get, get more in touch with themselves even. So, I ended up spending about six months getting certified as a yoga teacher, and then I taught for a few years after that. And that experience, it really, really did heal me. So, it healed my body, of course. Um, I was kind of getting back to movement, not just living up here in my head. And, you know, as we tend to be as veterinarians, we're very much up in our head, very cerebral, and we can completely neglect our bodies. And so it just like reunited my body with my brain. <laughs> and then it sort of introduced um or reacquainted me with my wellness and prioritizing my wellness and Even the idea of starting to think outside the box in terms of my wellness, my job, my career, my purpose in the world. And it sort of was the thing that kind of unlocked this place I was really stuck in my life and in my career. And the the way I was stuck was I thought I had to be a specialist, or I thought I had to work in the ER, or I thought I had to be doing certain things as a veterinarian to be legit, to be valid, to be good. To be worthy (laughs) of the vet God's assessment of me and even the, the voices in my head, the surgeons that had given me such a hard time and made me feel so bad about myself. I felt I needed to live up to those voices and those things that were, you know, chattering my ear and holding me back, hurting me. And that yoga training, kind of engaging with other people who were not in the vet industry, people who were interested in wellness, putting wellness first. Acknowledging ourselves as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, maybe even spiritual, (laughs) Um, it sort of just like shook. It was like this, you know, you shake someone, you're like, snap out of it. That's not true. (laughs) That's what happened to me. And um, so, you know, see one, do one, teach one. So I learned yoga. I taught yoga. And obviously, I had seen yoga because I had done it before. So it really touched me on a deep level and kind of got me out of this stuckness and this misconception that you have to be a certain way or you have to be a certain thing to be a good vet. And with that kind of experience and transformation, I sort of opened up my mind a little bit. I softened, I opened up and I was able to hear what I really wanted to do, what I really wanted to try and who I really wanted to be. (laughs) And with that, it just kind of came to me. I want to do this myself. I'm a damn good vet. I'm sorry, but I am. And (laughs) I think my, my clients and my patients benefit from my style of practice, my bedside manner, my approach. And as long as I'm under someone else who is telling me how it has to be, I can't really provide that and be okay together. So that's kind of how I ended up approaching the house call world. And it seemed very natural with my style of practice and my bedside manner to be working in people's homes. So I, you know, I I like having sort of an internet connection. I like being real with people, being authentic. And I like when people feel comfortable around me. And so house call practice was the next natural step. So there's a long answer to your question. I hope (laughs) that's what you were asking.
2: Wow, there's so much to say about what you said. In no particular order, we had a mini presentation during the Veterinary Financial summit couple of weeks ago uh, about that, about be yourself, you know, have the guts to not be what others want you to be, but be who you want to be.
0: Exactly. Uh,
2: and then I feel that I have to apologize for the surgeons who traumatized <laughs> you so much. And I would like to reassure our, our audience and you that not all surgeons are evil. <laughs> um, there's a few good ones out there
0: there are and
2: thank you for being vulnerable that that's unfortunately it's not an uncommon story but few people are brave enough to to share with the world
0: thank you that's a, that's amazing that's the first time a surgeon has ever apologized to me <laughs> so that means more than you know wow. it really does and that that also being said there were some amazing mentors there that you know, I love dearly and I'm very thankful to them. I can't say that I didn't benefit tremendously from that experience because now as a house call vet, even though I'm not doing surgery, I I hate surgery. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, that being said, I my um, pain management game is really mm-hmm. good. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I can diagnose a cruciate like no one's business and all the orthopedic stuff. So I am very thankful at the same time. <laughs> Good. So I
1: didn't want to seem like a big old ingrate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, thank you so much for for sharing your story there and letting us know what your journey was um, as far as getting to house call practice and and so I understand that you're in a sort of niche within a niche mm-hmm. with uh, with house call practice and you're actually a, a concierge vet. And so, tell us more about what that is, and what's the difference between a house call vet and a concierge vet?
0: Yeah, so I love that question. So the definitions around concierge medicine and house call and mobile medicine and all that—they're a little bit fuzzy. Um, so, I guess to start out, house call practice and mobile practice are sometimes used interchangeably. Sometimes they're different. In some states, they're legally a different thing. <laughs> um, but I generally tend to use the terms interchangeably. And what that means is you're either going into someone's home and providing care for their animal or since COVID now I go, I mostly am outdoors, like I'll be in someone's front yard. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute about COVID safety and stuff like that. But you know, you could also be driving your vet van or your vet mobile clinic to a person's front door and even if you're not in their home, you're pretty much at their home, and the benefit of that is you save the pet the the trouble of driving into the clinic. But um, if you're in a van or um, a mobile clinic, you might have a lot more capability. Like some people will do surgery in those vans. Some people do X rays, things like that. For me, I'm a straight straight up house call vet. I work in people's home or in the um, you know on the porch or the front lawn. You know, I bring my myself and everything that I need out of my Honda CRV into the home. And, (laughs) and we do what we need to do. And, you know, of course, there's some limitations. I'm not doing surgery. I'm not doing x-rays. I'm not doing anything crazy like that. So that's like house call or mobile. And when you talk about concierge, sometimes people will apply the term concierge to just mean house call. That's okay too. I don't use the word like that. I don't use the, the term in that way. So classically, what concierge medicine is, And I'm using the human definition because veterinary concierge medicine is extremely new. We're just defining it now, to be honest. So in human medicine, what concierge usually refers to is a subscription-based model where the client or the patient is paying you once a month or once a year to even have access to you. And it's typically an intimate relationship. You know, the, the doctor and the patient know each other very well. They may get direct access to that doctor without a gatekeeper, like they don't have to talk to the receptionist or a nurse or something like that. And I've seen a lot of different versions of this. So what's included in that subscription may vary. So my dermatologist has a concierge service that is not in any way related to house calls, but you get certain things uh, for your monthly subscription and they call that a concierge service. You get priority booking with the doctor. For me... What it gives people to is that direct access to me without a gatekeeper. So they can text, email, virtual visit, um, telemedicine with me in an unlimited fashion without a receptionist or a CSR or a vet, my vet tech kind of screening them, uh, filtering things out. They get my direct line. And um, something that I think is kind of different, I've, at least I've never heard of it before in the veterinary space. So backing up, there are only about five concierge vets that I'm aware of anywhere that's about to change because I'm training participants in my course to become concierge vets so there's about to be a lot more <laughs> but um, currently right now established concierge vets I only know of about five of them in the human medical world they're just like everywhere. It's been going on for a long time that concierge medicine has been an option but for for me in the vet space I think I may be the only person who's doing this that um, I have tiered options for my clients. So there's a bit of a misconception that if you're a concierge doctor or a concierge vet, that you have to be available 24-7 for your clients. Not true. <laughs> if you want it to be true, it can be true. Sure. I, I do know of at least one concierge veterinarian that does it that way. And I do partially. So I have these tiers where you can have access to me during my business hours in an unlimited fashion. You can pay me a crap ton of money and have me available Twenty four seven. I hadn't had anyone sign up for that until the last few months, and now I have one person who is on that tier. So for her, I'm I will be a, sure I'll be on call for you, no problem. <laughs> and then I have other tiers where people can include a certain number of house calls, you know, per year or per month and things like that. So it's like all different levels, and I very much have control over what I want people to have access to with regards to me and my time. So that's, that's concierge medicine for you in a nutshell.
2: So once a client finds out about you, how do they become a concierge client?
0: So um, I do have a hybrid practice, so I, I don't force everyone to be a concierge client. So most people will um, have an initial consult with me. And if I feel like it's a good match, I'll offer them that option. I don't offer it to everyone. (laughs) It's a bit exclusive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I I will let them know, know that I think it might be a good match for my concierge service if they'd like to sign up. And then I provide each of them with kind of a customized plan for them based on where they live, what my travel time to them might be, how many animals they have, how likely they are to ask me 5 million questions and you know, what the condition of the animal is. So I really, really customize it and basically invite
1: people. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a really interesting business model, you know? Thank you. There was a there was a TV show that was on years ago called Royal Pains. Did you ever see that? Mm -mm. Yeah, and it was about a concierge doctor, uh, MD. (laughs) Anyway, a lot of crazy stories from that.
0: There are, there, there've got to be. I mean, and the thing is like the whole Michael Jackson thing with the propofol, my understanding is that was a concierge MD as well. So mm-hmm. I wasn't a concierge doctor at that time, but I think if I had been, I would have gotten worried. I would have been like, oh no, here comes the judgment. <laughs> All concierge vets are ter- docs are terrible and giving propofol to their patients at night. <laughs> but that's the, yeah, that, that reminded me of that that doctor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you mentioned that not every client has the option to necessarily become a, a concierge client. And and so how do you set boundaries with your clients in general, both for the concierge side and for the home vet side?
0: I love that question and it's such a natural question for a concierge vet too. If I might say so myself, I'm often referred to as the queen of boundaries and the queen of firing clients. So (laughs) Um, I've thought about this for years and put a lot of time and energy into how to hold boundaries for myself and also how to model boundaries for the people I'm teaching, um, how to become house call vets. So my first like order of events in terms of boundaries is screening who I allow into my practice. So this is really, really different from working in a clinic um, or an ER or or what have you. You know, whoever walks in the door, whoever's on the schedule, that's who you're seeing, right? (laughs) So for me, I have a really involved screening process. So even before I see them for the first time, I know a lot of information about that person. I've been watching how they interact. I've been watching how they engage. I need them to be respectful towards me. I need to see that they have good interpersonal skills. I need to see that I feel on a body level safe engaging with them. I I can't have a question about (laughs) if I'm going to be killed when I go into their home, right? And I can't have a question about if I'm going into their home, are they going to make me feel emotionally uncomfortable? Are they going to emotionally blackmail me? Are they going to guilt trip me about my prices? Because if that's the case, I can't be in their home working on their pet safely. That's, that's not a client, that's a liability, right? <laughs> so I try to remove liability, whether that's in terms of safety, emotion, legal liability with my license, any of that. I try to um, screen for that immediately. I, I don't want a VCPR with someone that I don't feel safe around on any level. That's my boundary number one. If I get to their home and they're nice enough, um, but I just would rather not have a lot of them in my life, <laughs> you know, they're human beings like that, but they're, they're fine. They're just maybe you'd rather not be talking to them every day uh, or, you know, engaging with them in a great deal of frequency. I don't typically mention my concierge practice at that point, but I don't fire them. And then my third line is if someone... Seems normal and nice, respectful, (laughs) kind. They're not going to emotionally blackmail you or guilt trip you about your prices or complain about the bill or something like that. You know, then of course I take them in, but there are people who reveal that about themselves as time goes on. So I'm not a, I've got pretty good, I call it cradar. You know, I can tell if someone's cray and (laughs) this isn't going to work, but people get past me as well. And so if I see that's the case, I fire people quickly. You know, I, I don't let them continue to bother me or uh, my staff or take away from my ability to be present for the patients that need me. And so I'm very, very quick to release people from my practice if they aren't a good fit. Um, and I do it kindly and, you know, nicely and things like that. And usually people understand why. But those are some of my big ticket boundary issues. Um and then also because I am a concierge vet, if someone is trying to engage with me in a way that is actually a concierge level care, I can say, hey, it sounds like you would like to speak with me more often between appointments. Um, and you can either schedule a telemedicine appointment, which is paid, or you might like to join my concierge service. So I have like a, a path that I can kind of channel people down if they're trying to reach me more often than I would like um, without compensating me appropriately.
2: Great. So you mentioned um, physical risk and emotional risk to some mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. How about risk to your health? And you have a nurse with you.
0: I don't usually bring a nurse with me unless I have to do blood work on an animal that I can't do handle on my own. So I just bring her with me uh, PRN basically. And I do have a, I have a remote vet tech who answers um, texts and stuff for me.
2: Perfect. So how do you manage risk during, I don't know, let's say a pandemic?
0: (laughs) So it was definitely a challenge in the beginning. Um, It was a very scary time also because in the very beginning, all of my regular clients canceled. So I thought my business Mm -hmm. was a goner. I really did. And then, you know, everyone was afraid to have me come. I was afraid to go see them. And over time, as we know, the industry has kind of revolutionized itself. We have like 50 million more animals that need to be seen now. And we're all so busy and so crazy. And so that kind of swung around for my practice as well. So things started getting busy again. But um, I made very strict policies. Um, if I'm coming to your home, you need to have a mask. I will have a mask. Uh, we need to keep six feet apart. And I was uh, not going into anyone's homes. And so luckily, I'm in Los Angeles. So that was easy for me. Um, So I'm definitely privileged to have had that option to do that. Um, You know, folks on the East Coast, I feel really bad because there are times you don't want to be outside for even one minute, let alone a whole consult with an animal, right? (laughs) I'm from New York. So I know those winters really well. And um, once the vaccine rolled out, I've been a little bit more lenient about coming into people's homes, but we're still masking up and things like that. There was a time that I had a potential scare. Um, someone that I had been around had uh, tested positive. And so I, you know, I quarantined myself for a couple weeks, canceled everything. And I told folks, I don't I don't think I have anything. I'm just going to quarantine for two weeks. And everyone understood. And they were grateful that I was um, willing to, you know, kind of protect their safety as well.
1: Yeah. And so do you do you come into anyone's home at this point or is it everything mostly done outdoors?
0: So I have a few folks whose homes I come into, like I have some elderly clients and so I don't make them be outside. I'll I'll come in for them. <laughs> but I still we still both mask up and I still try to like keep a little bit of distance and we keep the windows open and, you know, doors open, just keep good ventilation. So there, there probably is some risk, but um, You know, I don't know that it's any more than being in the clinic with, you know, 20 or 30 other employees per day every day, right? I think Mm -hmm. it's probably a little bit less.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yes, it's definitely less. Okay. And so you talked about screening your clients and you talked about safety issues. And have you actually encountered a risky situation with a client?
0: Yeah. So. I uh, have been really lucky with that. Um, I would say I've had one situation. This was before I was uh, really good at boundaries and really good at screening and before I had my whole process, basically. There was a client who he told me he had mental illness and it was clear, you know, when I was at the house, I I saw that kind of playing out in front of me and he was a nice person and seemed to be... uh, caring and loved his dog and things like that. So I continued to work with him, even though he seemed a little bit off. And at a certain point in time, it became clear that he had the wrong idea about my intentions. And he started calling and texting a lot. And um, I had to clarify and I had to say, Hey, I'm, I'm here as your veterinarian. No more (laughs) than that. (laughs) You know, this is a professional relationship period. And he started cursing me out and calling and texting and, um, threatening and, you know, threatening social media demise and all of this stuff. And, you know, obviously I was like, I can no longer see you. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, so I I put an end to that, but there was a period of time when I was scared. Like I was a little bit traumatized. Like what if he shows up somewhere? Like he's obviously not stable. Um, Nothing ever happened, but I really beefed up my safety game. My partner now has my schedule. He knows where I am all the time you know, I started carrying pepper gel and <laughs> on my keychain, And, you know, I just really put a lot of thought into it. And I, I ended up putting a lot of information about safety precautions and things like that into the course that I'm teaching. But luckily, after I kind of ramped up my screening process and my radar, <laughs> um, you know, just like, I don't have to deal with people that are unstable, I'm going into their homes, I have compassion for people like this. But I don't have to Jeopardize my own personal safety by going into their homes. It's not necessary, <laughs> and it's still kind. Uh, you know, they'll have vet care, but it doesn't have to be for me. I'm a small woman. I'm not going to jeopardize myself by going into you know unstable men's homes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you know that that's part of my decision making process when I screen clients as well. And that being said. Likewise, I feel that the safety factor for me is actually a little bit better being a house call vet than in the clinic. Again, someone can walk into the clinic and threaten you with a gun or anyone can come into the clinic and you've had no opportunity to screen who is in that space with you. You know, Meanwhile, I've got the sort of agency to decide exactly who I'm seeing, whose homes I'm going into, and that's something that needs to be developed. So You know, it can take some time to get your spidey sense up and running. You know, this is a problem person. This makes me feel unsafe. Or I have a feeling in my stomach about this and I should not ignore that. I should just not see this client. So for me, I feel much safer doing house calls than being in the clinic. That being said, when you're doing in-home euthanasia only, folks who are in that space, I think, have a little bit more of a challenging scenario. So I did that myself for a little while. It wasn't really me. So that's not really my thing right now. I only will do euthanasia for my own established clients at the moment by choice. But when you're doing in-home euthanasia only and you're doing a lot of them per day, you're dealing with people who are already at a heightened emotional state. You don't have really the opportunity to get to know them and screen them well. You know, like you're not going to ask them like a 10-page questionnaire at the time that they're in grief and they're about to euthanize their pet. Um, So that's definitely a challenge. And I do know some of my colleagues who do in-home euthanasia only, I feel that they've had a greater percentage of encounters that were uncomfortable or made them feel their safety could have been at risk. I don't know of anyone who's actually had something terrible happen to them, but I have had colleagues in that space who mentioned being afraid at times. So I think that's a valid question and a valid concern. Um, And one of the reasons that I decided not to do, you know, only in-home euthanasia for the central aspect of my house call practice.
2: Wow. Thank you for sharing. Now, on the other hand, do you have any funny or crazy situations you've been in?
0: (laughs) I I struggle with this question. People always ask me this, because you'd think being in people's homes, you'd you'd see crazy things. But the reality is, for me, it's like, things I've seen in the clinic far exceed anything I've seen in a house call context in terms of like, wild and crazy things. You know, like the clinic is a madhouse, if you ask me. And the home, it's like this placid, happy, (laughs) everyone's calm, (laughs) everyone knows what to expect. I mean, there are like a few things like, well, like yesterday, for example, I got bitten by 14 mosquitoes in the place where I was working. <laughs> like it was just, you know, you're working in strange environments. So, you know, I was working outdoors and this place had a lot of mosquitoes. So now I know I might, you know, work indoors with everyone wearing masks for next time. But, <laughs> you know, like you get strange things like, like that. Um You know, I have some interesting clients, like, I don't have any A-list celebs. Um I don't, I'm not sure they would jive with me and my boundaries cuz I'm very much about my well-being too, not just like silver platter everything for everyone. <laughs> so I'm not sure the A-listers would like that. I know that there are vets who who work with a lot of stars here in LA. I'm not one of those vets, but um <laughs> mm. um you do get you get interesting people and um you know quirky eccentric people and get to know them very well, but I don't, I I wish I had a, like a really crazy story, but I truly don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No worries. I mean, that might be a good thing that you don't have too many crazy stories. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us more about the house called vet Academy. So you started a, a training program. And so who is that for? And what motivated you to start the course?
0: Yeah, so that's my baby right now. So I officially launched it about six or seven months ago now. And um, it took me about six or seven months prior to that of like really everyday hardcore working on it for hours and researching it and, you know, just like kind of gathering all of the information that I needed. So I brought my first course participants in around six or seven months ago. And I have in the course folks who, um, are really burnt out in the clinic. They're, um, very compassion fatigued and they want to try something new. They have always wanted to make a, you know, do a house call practice, but they just didn't have the knowledge of how, or they were very intimidated by the business aspect of things, the financial aspect of things. And then I also have established house call vets who are interested in upping their game with their boundaries with, their profitability. I have some experienced house call vets that want to start a house um, concierge aspect of their practice. So I've got folks all over the spectrum in the house call and mobile world in the course. It's um, a CE course that is approved for over 30 credits. We just got race approval, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah! <laughs> and um, it comes with once a month group coaching calls. So we build a community and people getting to know each other. And, you know, it's a little bit of a support group too, because most of the folks, a lot of the folks in the group are turning towards house call or mobile practice because they're unsatisfied or they're ready to leave the industry just like I was at the time they're at their wits end and they are willing to risk everything to try to do it themselves. And so we have those group coaching calls and we also have a private Facebook community so that we can really tailor things to people's unique practices because kind of like you said, a niche within a niche, like the house call practice is beautiful because it's so diverse. We have people who are doing end of life only, who are doing palliative only, they're doing acupuncture only, they may be doing wellness only. They may do integrative, like I do a little bit of everything, um, you know, so there's just so many ways to do it. And the the whole thing about house call practice is that it allows you to be your unique self as a business owner and as a vet and just kind of explore who you really are and how you really like to practice, what you want to provide for your patients and your clients. And so there's kind of room for everyone in there, you know, so the course goes through a lot of information that applies to everybody. And then we can further tailor things based on your specific niche within the, you know, the micro niche within the macro niche, you know.
2: (laughs) So how did you learn to manage your own practice before you taught others? What resources did you use?
0: That's a really good question. So I would say I kind of think of my own house call practice, Marigold Veterinary, as a little bit of a laboratory. So um, I've learned a lot the hard way. I have risked, taken a lot of risks to try things. Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? My concierge practice developed over time. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of financial mistakes. I made a lot of boundary mistakes, and you've heard about some of those. Um, But there were a lot of things that really burnt me out again in my own practice. And it's very possible to burn out as a house call vet. Even though this is sort of like the way out of the burnout, you can still burn out (laughs) doing this if you don't know what you're doing. And there's no reason any of us should know what we're doing. We did not learn how to run a business in vet school. We certainly didn't learn how to practice veterinary medicine in the home. How animal handling is different in the home, um, you know how client communication and boundaries are different when you're a house call vet. Um, you know they're they're not necessarily better or worse. I mean I think they're better in general, but they're they're different most of all, right? So I learned a lot the hard way. I finally kind of came to a place where I felt like, wow, I think I really have this down. My business is sustainable. I could do this forever now. I'm not resentful all the time of clients. I'm bringing in money, good money. You know, my, my practice is financially healthy. And now I can teach this to people. So kind of along the way, like what, what got me there, that transition from being a mess to <laughs> having something worth teaching about, I would say the main resources were my therapist. <laughs> and no, no shame about that. Like I lean very heavily on my therapist and have for a few years. I had a mindset life coach, I had a business and marketing coach. So I really leaned into to getting kind of one on one support, joining communities. Um, and my yoga teacher training kind of gave me something that I think was really priceless and not what I expected this ability to think outside the box and know that that was okay to be my own person. And it was kind of like cross training too, like just having my Toe dipped into another industry and just seeing how people do things, it kind of allowed me to introduce some other ways of thinking about things into my practice. And even though they didn't hit me right at the beginning of my house call practice, they kicked in later. You know, some of those lessons were delayed lessons. And, you know, when I thought back about my yoga teacher training, hey, why don't I do this? Why don't I treat clients like this? Why don't I, you know, provide this service in this way? So, yeah. So I think a, a lot of kind of mentorship, direct mentorship and connections with experts in their fields. I think I sort of just applied that into what I'm doing. And then, um, you know, I probably read 50 or more books about business, about finances, about human concierge medicine. So a lot, a lot of books, a lot of reading. And then It wouldn't be right if I didn't mention that my partner is just really good at boundaries and he's really good at business. So he's sort of like been a sounding board. And so a lot of stuff that I do now is a direct result of conversations that we've had over the years. So I think those are my big, big resources and, you know, what's kind of gotten me to the place where I am now.
2: That's awesome. So is there an avatar? Is there the ideal... Candidate for becoming like you?
0: <laughs> um, an avatar veterinarian to become a house call vet?
2: Yeah, or concierge.
0: Or a concierge vet. I'm sure you yeah. could be
2: from all all walks of life, but from from experience, from talking to people, can you define some common traits?
0: Sure. Um I think there are a lot of vets out there who have a tendency to have a really nice bedside manner, really want to spend more time with their clients, want to give them more than is possible in the clinic in, you know, a 15 or 30 minute time slot. And the folks who feel constricted by that or feel constricted by, you know, maybe having their boss or someone look over their shoulder and telling them how they have to practice, people who feel that way and are maybe yearning for a little bit more freedom in how to practice, how to um, engage with their clients and you know, or maybe don't like rushing people. That's that's something that I see a lot of prospective house call vets tell me they're trying to solve that problem by becoming a house call vet. I think also having a little bit of bravery, a little bit of innovation, being a little bit okay with risk. You know, when you start a business that there's inherent risk. And With the help of my course, I think there are people who are not as open to risk and might not have taken the jump without a little bit of hand-holding. But I think with a little bit of hand-holding, I think some people can get over that hump and have a really beautiful and satisfying and financially um, sustainable and emotionally sustainable practice as well. But I think a lot of the folks who took the jump, Thus far, like a lot of us who are established house call vets, we either hit a wall where it was just not sustainable to do anything else and we had little to to lose, or we were naturally uh, a little bit more okay with risk and doing something different on our own and jumping in and um, maybe even, you know, not having a family to to worry about if the whole venture failed, (laughs) you know, so um, I, I don't see many house call vets failing. I I truly don't. I think, you know, the the service is so in demand and people love their house call vets. It's just a whole different game. And then, you know, on that note, slightly off topic, I added a lecture to my course yesterday, which was um, an interview with an attorney, a veterinary attorney. And she said, you know, I really don't see board complaints towards house call vets. I really don't see that. Um, very often. Um, and I think that reflects kind of, um, the fact that house call practice is needed. It's, it typically goes well. (laughs) And, um, most folks involved on both sides of that party are, are happy and satisfied. So I think, um, you know, anyone who's really looking for kind of something different, a little bit more freedom, a little bit more control over their lives and a little bit more control over their, Um, the way they'd like to practice, and maybe a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. I think that would be your avatar right there.
2: That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. So, which questions should we have asked you?
0: (laughs) Um, You could ask, what would be the number one mistake that you see house call vets making or new house call vets making?
2: Hey, Eve, what's the number (laughs) one mistake house call vets make?
0: (laughs) That's such a great question. Thank you for asking that. Thank you. So I would say that the answer is a little bit different depending on if you're a new vet. You know, If someone is just getting started, I often see people spending way too much money on their inventory and uh, electronic medical records. Right from the get-go, people spending a ton, ton of money before they're bringing anything in whatsoever. So I think there are places to invest and places not to invest. So I think things and inventory and, you know, if you're not sure what your clientele is going to need yet, you know, for me, I, it turns out I don't need an ultrasound for what I'm doing. I very rarely need one of those portable ultrasounds, but I see people, you know, taking out loans so they can get an ultrasound. And meanwhile, maybe their clients won't be into that, you know, maybe. And, and if you want an ultrasound later, great. Once your business is earning money, You the business itself has money to spend. Great. Get your toys. (laughs) But, you know, right off the bat, I I would not buy crazy fancy equipment. I would not go into debt. (laughs) I really wouldn't take out a loan unless, you know, there's no other way and you need to get, um, you know, one of those big vet clinic trucks. Um, And, you know, you you can't get a, a credit card or, you know, you can't finance it through the company. That's, you know, that's one place you might consider it. But most you know, run of the mill house call vets, I don't think should be taking out loans. And I see people asking me about that all the time. Where should I get my small business loan? You shouldn't. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would say existing house call vets that come to me looking for a little bit of assistance. Most of the time, I think the big problems there, are they're not holding their boundaries. They don't know how to hold their boundaries or they're not charging appropriately for their time.
1: All right. Well, Eve, you're such a incredible resource. This is uh this has been a great interview. And so where can our listeners connect with you? Thank you so much. You guys are such a great resource. And
0: congratulations on your um, summit, your virtual summit, which was fantastic. <laughs> I recommended Thank that you. to all of my course participants. And I know a few people signed up too. So yay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So um, where people can reach me, feel free to add me as a friend on Facebook, Eve Harrison. You can send me a DM. um, You can follow the House Call Vet Academy page. And I also have a new um, Facebook group separate from our private community for the course members, but that's a little bit more accessible to other folks. It's called the House Call Vet Cafe. All you need to do is answer the the rules, agree to the rules, and you're in. (laughs) Um, And then you can um, also reach me at my email, Dr. Harrison at gmail.com. And then there's also Instagram, the House Call Vet Academy Instagram, or you can check out the course directly at www.TheHouseCallVetAcademy.com.
1: All right. Excellent. So that brings us to our last question, Eve. What is your best advice for veterinary professionals? Hmm. (laughs)
0: I would say that when done right, house call vet and mobile vet practice is one of veterinary medicine's best kept secrets. I think it's really, you know, revolutionized my life. A lot of my colleagues feel they could never go back. The freedom is just insane. (laughs) It's really insane in a good way. And I would say even if you're not doing house call or mobile practice, don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Being a vet can look so many different ways. You might feel alone, but you're really not. You know, as I've kind of leaned into some of the different things I'm doing, I'm finding other colleagues who are, you know, innovating and, and practicing in different ways and new ways and creating projects that help other veterinarians. And it's just amazing what's out there. And, and you can do it too. So if anyone is, you know, stuck, the way I was or burnt out or compassion fatigue there's so many amazing ways to engage and still be a veterinarian and if you don't want to be a veterinarian at all that's also okay so I think that's that's kind of the gist of what I have to say to our community
2: that's awesome thank you okay so this was really a fascinating conversation everybody's heard about house call vets but concierge now that's a whole different level so congratulations on being in a pioneer. This is really exciting.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Um, And it's very interesting to me that so many things you said apply to all of us. As I say all the time, we do exactly the same thing, but we all do it differently. But we all need to set up boundaries. And we still we all need to, we should do what we want to do, not what society or parents or professors want us to do. So congrats.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Eve. You're welcome. If you liked today's episode, hit the follow or subscribe button. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success.
2: information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.